Hello, hello, hola, what's up? And welcome to the Hope Chase podcast. I'm Angie and I am your host. This is episode three. I don't want to start sounding like a robot, so switch it up a little bit. This week I wanted to talk about something that's seemingly everywhere on the news and media the past couple weeks. And just because I'm in Mexico on an island somewhere doesn't mean I don't know what's going on in the world. So grab your coffee, your tea, your snack, or whatever else. Turn your volume up. Because for the next half an hour or so, I would like to discuss with you my experiences in the criminal justice system. My experiences with the cops, the police, my criminal record, and why what I'm seeing in the news, the media about the Tyree Nichols case and the behavior of those cops, why none of that is surprising to me. I'm going to talk about it all. Now, this has absolutely nothing to do with the Tyree Nichols case. Nothing. It's just that when I see these things all over the news and the media, I am reminded of my extensive history that I have in the criminal justice system. And I am reminded of the many, many, many interactions that I have had with cops and detectives, policemen's and women's, and I can relate. So I want to start by saying that I grew up with the understanding that cops are to be respected, trusted. They are authority figures, you know, all the, all the good things that cops are supposed to be, the trusting, the helping, the saving, all those things. I had little to no experiences with any cops or police. In fact, there was one that was like a family friend. And when I was in high school and things, when the cops would come to our parties, he would often be there and it would be like a please don't tell my mom type of vibe going on if ever I would see him while I was out drinking with my friends in high school. I never really had any experiences with getting into trouble, getting arrested or any cop experiences, period. So where did that original understanding of how cops are to be trusted and valued and They're there to save the day. Where did that come from? Where did it come from? Comes from society, I guess. We are told from a young age that cops are good guys and we can trust them. So I guess you could say that when I started to get arrested at about age 25-ish, I was incredibly naive. I had that original understanding that cops are good guys and you can trust them. I was incredibly naive. I didn't understand anything about the criminal justice system. And I would soon learn and realize that it was all bullshit. (laughs) Everything that I was taught, everything that I was told, it's all bullshit. A good place to start this little stroll down memory lane would be my first arrest story, the first time I was ever arrested. I was about 25-ish, somewhere around there, and oh my goodness, was I so naive. So I had ran out of money, 
like most addicts do at a certain point. I ran out of all of my money that I had that I had gotten from my graduation. I went through all of it. And I had to figure out a way to make money. So I started boosting or stealing North Face coats, <laughs> which looking back now seemed ridiculous because they're huge, puffy things, but whatever. I was taking orders from people. I started actually, I did it for a while, started taking orders from people. People, words started getting around. People would get in touch with me and be like, Ange, if you, you know, go to the store and this style is in, can you get this for me? So it's kind of like guaranteed money. So I went into Macy's and I would take these, you know, shopping bags. It was in a big mall. So I'd take these shopping bags and I'd fill it with just shit, right, that I didn't need. And I'd go into the store. So it looked like I had been shopping throughout the mall already. It looked like I had, you know, shopping bags full of things that I had just purchased elsewhere in the mall. And so I take these coats and go into the dressing room and I had tools in my purse. I always kept these tools in my purse to take the ink tags off, which I got incredibly good at. So the ink did not go everywhere. I didn't ruin the jacket. One of my many talents. <laughs> and I would put the brand new coats in the shopping bags, take the shit out. And then I would walk out with the coats in my shopping bags. And it was working. It had worked for a while. And I was pretty much cleaning them out of their North Face coats. <laughs> because I remember this day in particular, I couldn't really find a style that somebody wanted. And I was like, shit, what am I going to do? This is guaranteed money. And I was in there too long. I went into the dressing room and I did my thing and I put them in the bags. And when I came out, I had this feeling and I knew I was going to get caught. I fucking knew it. I knew it. Well, what if I'm being paranoid? So I remember I went to go walk out and it was about 20 yards, I think, about 20 or 30 yards to the outside door. There's like the double set doors and then there's a little lobby and then you walk out the other double set doors and then you're outside. I remember thinking, Ange, put the fucking coats back. Put the coats back. But I was like, oh, but this is money, this is money, this is money. Like, I was like slow motion walking. And I heard two people, like, coming up pretty fast behind me. And they ran past me. And in that moment, I didn't even think, like, they were coming for me. I was just like, why are these people running? And I opened the doors. And I went into the little lobby. I wasn't outside yet. And I stopped again. And I stood there and I was like, Ange, this is ridiculous. Your car, it's like I was parked in one of the first spots. It's like your car is right there. All you have to do is walk out, guaranteed money. And I just took a deep breath and walked out. And I was outside. And within 30 seconds, I heard, excuse me, miss. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my goodness. I think he said to me, can we talk about the coats you have in your bag? Or something to that effect. I was thinking I could have fucking ran. I really could have. That's how close my car was parked. <laughs> we walk and we go into the back room. And of course, they call the cops. But they don't have to call the cops. But I had three North Face coats <laughs> on me. And that's, God, how much were they back then? Over $100 each. So I had over three, probably over $350 worth of 
Now, that's the first time I get, I'm getting arrested, right? I really, I don't know what I was, I honestly don't know what I was thinking. I don't remember what I was thinking. When we got to the station, he asked about drugs. And I thought it would be a good idea to say, yeah, I'm a drug addict. I was doing it to get money because I'm a drug addict. I thought that would be a good idea to add to the case because, you know, feel sorry for me. I'm doing it to support my habit. I also thought it was a good idea <laughs> to divulge the information that I was a fucking social worker and I had initials after my name. Like, how embarrassing. I thought that would get me somewhere. But the cop, I remember, said to me, he asked me if I wanted him to, you know, for, if I wanted him to advocate for treatment for me, like, you know, feel bad for this girl. She's a drug addict. She needs treatment kind of thing. And I was like, sure. I didn't really know what to answer. Now, come to find out, looking back, that was not the right thing to do. <laughs> I should not have stated that I was a drug addict because it would have been just a simple larceny undercharge or lar actually larceny over which is a felony. Larceny under $250, $250 worth of merchandise is a misdemeanor. Larceny over $250 is a felony. So I was getting charged with my first felony and my first arrest. Yay. Now, in the police station, when they arrest you in Boston, you get an automatic $40 bail, assuming you don't have any warrants and shit, right? I did not have cash on me. Obviously, I was stealing for cash. Couldn't even bail myself out for $40. Now, this is a theme that would last for the rest of my million arrests, but I finally got out. And I remember when I had to go to court, I, I had no past experience to pull from. I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. Nothing. Zero. So when I get to the court, you know, they assign you a public pretender, which is what I like to call them, a public defender. The lawyer, this guy really fucked me. <laughs> I just want to get the worst they can get for themselves. I got the worst freaking deal ever. It was my first offense. It's my first charge. I had no criminal history. And looking back, I realize now just how naive I was. And they take advantage of that. If you're new, if you're naive, this is why I call them public pretenders. They don't have your best interests in mind. They just take advantage of the fact that they can get whatever they can get based on the fact that you just don't know any better. And the fact that I was a drug addict made the deal even worse, did not help me at all. Looking back, I know for sure they took advantage of the fact that I didn't know anything because it was based on my knowledge that I didn't know any better. The lawyer and the people involved in that system, they all know better. That's what they get paid to do. That's their job. Their job is to know for you. But once I started learning the ins and outs of a quote unquote good deal and a bad deal, I realized it's based on my knowledge. I have to think myself through it, even though I have this public defender and these cops. If I don't know any better, I'm basically fucked. These people are going to take advantage of that. So I would just continue to get arrested like it was no big deal, but I didn't care, right? That was the theme. I just did not freaking care what was going to happen to me. I just didn't care. All I wanted to do was keep getting high. And I did whatever I could to continue that. I was getting arrested more than once a week. I mean, it was so often that by the time I'd get to the police station, my most recent arrest wasn't even updated in the system. 
they couldn't update it fast enough because I kept getting bailed out. $40 bail, $40 bail, $40 bail. I think I got arrested five times in a month period. I mean, usually if you get keep getting arrested that often, you're not going to get a $40 bail. Like your bail is going to go up or you might not get any bail because I was on probation. I was violating my freaking probation over and over and over again. But I kept getting arrested so often that it just wasn't catching up in the system. The probation I was put on for my very first offense legit lasted the entire career of my drug addiction because I was never really complying with what I had to do. So it just kept getting extended and I kept catching new cases, kept getting extended, kept not showing up or failing drug tests, kept getting arrested. So really I was on probation for like the entire time that I was a dope fiend and I'm not even exaggerating. My memory is so messed up. It's shot. My memory is shot. So timing in my brain doesn't really add up the way it's supposed to. And I remember this other time I had been staying with an acquaintance because I had no place to live. He had had warrants and apparently a cop recognized him while he was out driving around and followed him to his house and called for backup on the way. And I was sleeping and I wake up to cops coming into the room. So they emptied the house, they cleared the house and I was standing outside and another friend of mine had a warrant at the time. So he kind of like tiptoed away from the scene, like escaped out of there without the cops knowing or realizing. And I had been, I was standing there waiting for them to find the kid whose house it was because he was like running and hiding in a closet or something. It was freaking nonsense. And so I was just standing in the driveway. And once the cops realized the other kid had walked away and nobody, nobody noticed because he also had a warrant, they started going at me about it, asking me where he was. Where is he? Where is he? I kept saying, I don't know, asking me for information about him, what his name was, his birthday, where he lives, all these things. And because I wasn't giving them the information that they wanted me to give, they were doing things to me that would make it worse for me. They, didn't, they weren't getting physical with me at that time, but they were going through my things. They were doing things they, that were unlawful, but they had found these empty, empty baggies, like empty baggies at the bottom of my bag, or the bottom of my purse or something. They just kept looking, 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 looking for something to get me with. And they found these empty baggies. And I remember distinctly, one of the cops said to me, if you don't tell me where he is, I'm going to charge you with this. And it was an empty bag. What are they going to charge me for? Like a a possession of a plastic bag? (laughs) Nonetheless, they didn't like what I was saying. So they ended up charging me. I got charged for possession, even though I really didn't have any drugs in my possession. This is not an uncommon thing. Drug addicts get arrested for this shit all the time. But as you'll hear, this is normal. It's a normal thing. The cops, they love to assert their power over you. They love to get you for something. And it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it's your word against theirs. And who am I? I'm nobody. I'm a fucking sick drug addict, junkie, junk box, dope fiend. Who's going to believe me anyways? And I really tried to avoid telling my parents for as long as I could. Like when I started to get arrested, I wasn't calling them. But after a few times, 
of getting arrested and having nobody to call, I really didn't have a choice. I had to call my father. Now, they were out of state, and I remember the first time that I called my dad from the police station, I remember getting a knock on the cell door after I initially spoke with him, and the cop said, your parents will be here to get you in the morning. They made me spend the night in the station, (laughs) and they came in the morning to pick me up to pay $40 to get me out. And then they dropped me off at my apartment, and I went on doing all the things, getting arrested and using as if nothing happened. And ironically, it was all of my arrests and my court dates and my probations that really brought me and my father even closer together. He was always there for me. He was always at my court dates always there to support. If I needed him, even though he was two hour drive away, he would be there. I fucking loved him for that. He was a fucking saint. I can't imagine getting so many phone calls from your daughter saying that she's got arrested for the millionth time and she's in jail. And But it was also his view of the system that I saw change so drastically that really validated my experiences, because he also had that original understanding that I talked about, about the cops being people to trust and there to save the day. But as I started to experience more things and I had more interactions with them in and out of the legal system, he began to really see the bullshit. He began to see what it really is and the truth, which I am so grateful for because there are so many people that continue to deny that. And I know what it sounds like. I know what it sounds like. I'd be on the phone with my dad, calling him from the cell, explaining to him that I really wasn't doing anything wrong. But they arrested me anyways. Now, I know what that sounds like. It sounds like I'm just making excuses and I'm making up a story and I'm lying because, you know, I'm a junkie and that's what junkies do. But after a while, he began to see that I wasn't lying. I wasn't lying. (laughs) I was telling the truth. And it was the cops that were being assholes. I want to say that this wasn't every single instance, but certainly it was enough to notice. It was enough to change his view on the system. And I really am so grateful for that because he was my rock. He was always, always there. And he believed me. It's my word against their word. It is the cop's word against a junkie. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? In 2010, I had been selling drugs on top of using them for money. And a person that I had sold them to had snitched on me. And I had, as a result, gotten pulled over and they found a bunch of bags in my car. And I was, as a result, charged with trafficking of heroin. When I got to the police station, they were saying, they will say whatever you want to hear. They will say to me, they said I would have walked out of there scot-free. 
They told me that they would have dropped the charges, that I'd walk away from it. They told me they had been watching me. They had been following me. They made up all these lies to try to get me to tell them that I had more dope at my house. They came up with every single lie in the book to say to me, to get me to believe what they were saying. They ended up going to my house and finding my stash. And that was the first time I went to the city jail in Boston. When I went to court, my bail, they want, they asked for $50,000, but my actual bail was $25,000. Now in Boston, you have to pay the whole thing. So I went to jail with a $25,000 bail for a trafficking charge. And I did whatever I could to convince my dad to come pay it. And that's what happened. My dad came up, paid $25,000 fucking dollars to bail me out. And and I still didn't learn a damn thing <laughs> from this because just two months after I had gotten bailed out for $25,000 and I was out on bail. When you're out on bail and you get rearrested, they usually revoke your bail, which means you don't get your bail money back in Boston. Usually if you finish the case without any problems, if the case closes without any issues, you can usually get your bail money back. So that's, of course, one of the things that I said to my dad. And eventually, yes, he did get his $25,000 back, thank God. But I wasn't even thinking of that. And two months after that trafficking charge and that $25,000 bail, I would continue to sell drugs even after I got out. On my birthday that year, I got arrested again. And the cops... It was like I was armed and dangerous. <laughs> it was like I was freaking Scarface. You would have thought I was fucking Scarface the way they took me down in the middle of the main street. I mean, it was insanity. I didn't have any drugs on me. Now, they said that the kid I just sold to ratted on me. That's the probable cause they used to pull me over. I didn't have anything on me. I had maybe $40 that I charged the kid. I had maybe $40 on me. I had nothing on me. Nothing. And they arrested me anyways. They arrested me with distribution, a distribution charge for selling the drugs based solely on this guy who said he got it from me. I went back to the police station. And because I had just gotten bailed out two months prior for $25,000, they thought, oh, well, we can get more money out of this girl. So then my bail from the police station was $10,000. But what did I do? I called my dad back and I begged and pleaded. And I, my dad called my lawyer, sent my lawyer the $10,000. My lawyer came and picked me up and bailed me out of the, the police station. The next day, I knew I was going to jail the next day because I had just been arrested while I was still out on bail. Until the next court date, I went back to court and that was when I got put on the ankle bracelet. I hope you're following what I'm saying. <laughs> Eventually, I get put on the ankle bracelet and sent to a program. Now, the cops, however, are on to me at this point, right? And they're following me, and they start harassing me. Cops would sit outside my house. They would harass me. They would watch me. They would pull me over for no reason. I remember I had a job at the time, and I was waiting tables at a restaurant down the street from my place. And I was driving to work. The cop passed me going in the other direction. One of the cops, the um, sergeant actually in the case, passed me going in the other direction and recognized me. I was on my way to work. And he must have thought to himself, oh, hey, I know that girl. 
I know that girl. Where is she going? She's not supposed to be driving. When you get arrested in Boston for a drug offense, usually they take your license away. But because I had an out-of-state license, that didn't happen, which is a loophole, FYI. He went on to, that day, turn around, call for the most backup that you would need for once again if you were pulling Scarface over. And once I pulled up in front of my job, they pulled up around me. It was about seven cruisers all around me, right? They pull up right in front of you and they run out of the freaking car like you're like you're armed and dangerous and and they draw their guns. I'm just getting out of my car going to work going, what in the actual fuck is going on? Here comes the sergeant, so confident that I'm doing something wrong. The cops get incredibly pissed if you waste their time. Incredibly upset if you waste their time. And so he continued to search my car. Search my car. He had no reason. No reason. And when my plates, they run my registration. He's talking to the cop going, she's not supposed to be driving runner shit. Cop comes back and is like, uh, it looks good to me. The registration is good. The look on the, on the sergeant's face was like, what? The, what do you mean? In that moment, he realized that he had fucked up, right? He fucked up. None of that shit was supposed to be happening. Everything that was going on was unlawful. And mind you, I'm standing in front of my job where all the managers are, are in a meeting looking out the window as I am surrounded by like seven cruisers, 15 cops for no reason. I'm not allowing me to drive my own car. Even my license was good. My registration was good. Everything was up to date. Everything's paid for. Everything's good. I had nothing on me. He wouldn't let me drive my own car. He made me call somebody else to come pick up my own fucking car. And then I had to call for a ride. Now, these cops will do whatever they want to do. They will do whatever they want. And like I said, it's my word against theirs. Who are they going to believe? It is just not even worth saying anything. It's not worth it. What is going to come of it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So it became normal to me. And one time I remember I was living in Dorchester in Boston. I had been getting watched once again. And I had a rental car for some reason. I think my car was in the shop. I picked up my actual car from the shop and still had the rental car, but I had to return the rental car. So a friend of mine helped me return the rental car. So we were sitting in my car. I gave him the key to the rental car, blah, blah, blah. He got his stuff out of my car. He then got out of my car, jumped into the rental car. We were sitting in front of my apartment. And he jumped into the rental car, and then he proceeded to follow me to the stop and shop down the street where we got surrounded by detectives who were so confident in the fact that they saw a drug deal happen. And we were like, what the actual fuck is going on? They held us hostage in the fucking parking lot in front of stop and shop for a very good amount of time. One of the cops had the nerve he was standing next to my passenger side door and my purse had been sitting in the passenger seat and he reached his hand, my window was down, reached his hand into my purse from standing outside, which is highly illegal, and pulled a plastic bag out of my purse that had my actual medications in them, my bottles of medication that were actually mine, like my medications. 
because the cops didn't find anything on either of us, they they were they were so certain that we had drugs and that a drug deal had just happened. So what did they do after they didn't find anything? They took it upon themselves to charge both of us with the medication that the cop illegally pulled out of my own fucking purse. What was I going to do? They towed my car again. The amount of times my car has been towed. I got arrested for possession of these pills. And I probably got a possession of heroin charge. They probably found an empty baggie. I don't remember correctly and charged me with that as well. And I would have to go on to fight this case. Now, I thought about it and I'm like, dude, I wasn't doing anything wrong. They were, I wasn't doing anything wrong. I really want to fight this case. Now, finding a lawyer that is going to fight a case based, like fight the detectives is pretty hard to do because like I said, my word against theirs. But wouldn't you know, I actually took this case to trial. I would not plea out because I knew I didn't do anything wrong. I just refused to plea out to this one. I was like, I don't want another fucking charge. And somehow the gods <laughs> were smiling on me that day because I ended up taking it to trial. And the judge that I got in that case was really good. So I actually ended up not getting charged for that in the long run, but I still had to go to court a million and two times for the As soon as I'd see a cop, I knew that if they ran my play, if they saw that I had any kind of criminal history, I was fucked. I was going to get pulled over, no matter if I was doing anything wrong or not. Doesn't make a difference. Or how I look. If they recognized my face, if I was wearing a baseball hat, if I was wearing a baseball hat backwards, if I was wearing sunglasses on a rainy day. If I just looked like a typical junkie to them or because of the car I was driving, I got pulled over so many times because of the simple fact that I drove a BMW because they figure who is this girl driving this nice car? She must be selling drugs. And to be honest, I still get that same feeling when I see cops, my heart still sinks into my stomach. My heart starts to race. I tense up even though I'm doing nothing wrong. Because I know that I don't have to be doing anything wrong. I don't have to be doing anything. If they want to charge me with something, they can. And at the end of the day, it's my word against theirs. So with all of this said, and all of my experiences that I've had with the criminal system, it cannot be any more opposite than that initial understanding that we are taught and told growing up that the system is all good. Every single thing that I've experienced about the criminal system, the criminal justice system, is exactly the opposite of what I was told and what I was taught growing up. Why is it so hard for some people to understand that it is bullshit? Why is it so hard for people to understand that it isn't all good and there isn't just a few bad apples, but in fact, that's the rule. A few good apples is the exception in my experience. And back to what I was saying in the beginning, how I'm not surprised, how I'm never surprised when I see in the news or in the media 
cops behaving like assholes or doing unlawful things to people. It is my expectation for cops to be assholes <laughs> based on everything that I've talked about today. And that's why I am never surprised because the cops are the biggest, the worst, and the most dangerous gang in the entire country and probably the world. So that's it. That's all. <laughs> that's all I have to say about this topic. I could go on for hours. I have many more experiences. <laughs> I won't hold you hostage much longer. And I don't want anyone's sympathy. Do not feel sorry for me. I was a junkie. <laughs> I was breaking the law. But that's not the reason I do this podcast. I'm not looking for sympathy at all. I just wanted to shed a little light, share my opinions, my own interactions, my own experiences. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in to episode three, Three Down. And don't forget to follow this podcast from whatever platform you're listening from to get all notifications. And don't forget to rate and review as well. Help this podcast to get noticed by all the platforms, all the Googles, all the Apples, all the Spotify's. Leaving your rating and leaving a review helps me to get more noticed in the interwebs of all the podcasts. <laughs> and at the Hope Chase Pod on TikTok and on Instagram. Follow me there. And if you want to get in touch with me, shoot the shit, message me. And once again, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Hope Chase Podcast. I'm Angie, and welcome to the shit show. See you next time.